Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. Today we're talking about bad feminism, what it means, is there such a thing as a good or a perfect feminist, and most importantly, is it okay to be a bad feminist? So, to start off with, let's ask everybody, what makes someone a bad feminist? This is Shishti, your host, by the way. Hi, this is Rohita, and I kind of agree, but like in a different way. I don't think there's any such thing as a good feminist. I think everyone's a flawed feminist, but there are a few bad feminists for sure. Um, and maybe we can unpack who they are later. Um, I think yeah, mostly they're flawed feminists. But to go with who would be a good feminist would be someone who's actually fighting the fight. Um who's actually doing the feminism or the activism part of the feminism um, and not just being woke and performative online. This is Vatsala. Okay, so speaking of performance, maybe let's talk about pop culture and some of the most famous performances or depictions of feminism that we've seen on screen, which has made us think about this idea of like bad feminist, right? So let's start with the goat, I mean, it's become a cliche almost that if you're a feminist, you're going to somewhere find a Fleabag reference. Um, but this line from Fleabag, uh, which we recently broken down in a short video we'd, al we'd also done, where Fleabag says, I sometimes worry that I wouldn't be such a feminist if I had bigger tits. So what did you think about this? Is it, this an example of someone being a bad feminist or what, what issue does this really kind of get to? You know, it's interesting because a lot of critiques of Fleabag uh, talk about how self-centered the feminism is. So I feel like in this, this line encapsulates her not being a bad feminist so much as being a white feminist. And just because that gaze is always turned inward and looking at what can I do? How, how like what makes me a good or a bad feminist? And in your own personal brand of feminism and the tussle between like external, like an external gaze, that's, that's highly relatable for sure. But I still think that that's, yeah, like that's white feminism and it's not what feminism should be about at all. To go beyond this line and look at the show also for me, Fleabag's feminism, while yes, acknowledging that it was primarily white and um, there's lack of diversity there, but it's flawed. She's not trying to be a feminist anywhere. She's a young girl who has very young, relatable issues and then trying to understand where a feminist perspective fits in. And she's trying to like gauge every decision that she makes basis the feminism that we are aware of. I actually don't see this as like an example of bad, someone being a bad feminist. I just see this as an example of like honest like an honest voice, like, you know, like Watsala said, an honest, relatable voice, which inadvertently points to many issues or gives a perspective which often isn't seen in the mainstream. I feel like we can have like just one whole episode talking about Fleabag. So maybe we move on <laughs> and talk about sex and the city. Uh, another example, which now a lot of people come to to talk about like problematic or bad feminism. So what do we feel about Sex and the City and whose feminism was good or bad, let's say, between the characters. Samantha, Carrie, Charlotte and Miranda. And in fact, the whole show's idea of feminism itself, perhaps. 
Interesting. I was recommended this show when I was going through a breakup. <laughs> so I was told to watch it and feel better about it or something. So uh, I liked Miranda and Samantha a lot. It's just that their idea of independence, um, being self-sufficient, their feminism, I would like leave Carrie outside of it. I thought I found out the most problematic in the show. But Miranda and Samantha, for me, they were almost like role models. I have not watched Sex and the City so I don't think I can comment. <laughs> but I can tell you what I feel, but it wouldn't be fair because I haven't seen it. But I still feel like this is the epitome of white liberal feminism in like a bad way. It's very individualistic. and But, but you know what, hearing Vatsala speak about how it helped her, I, I get it. As in, there is value in that as well. I'm not denying that at all. But again, like a common like critique is also that which who exactly were feeling empowered by going out and participating in the workforce because before white women did it, a lot of other women have been doing it under exploitative conditions. I think I agree with both sides as in like the, the critique is totally fair. But I definitely think that the show had like so much value even for me like when I watched it. Okay, so so far we've been talking about like depictions of feminism of bad feminism, which turns out is not necessarily as bad as we thought. But what about like someone who's outright been criticized for their feminism, right? And uh, not really for their feminism, but for their transphobia. And then does that automatically make them a bad feminist? J.K. Rowling, let's, let's talk about her. 100%. I think J.K. Rowling has... Uh, is can no longer be considered a feminist even. She is just a bigot. There's no conversation to be had about how she is still a feminist despite actively ostracizing women um, under the guise of gender essentialism and actively causing them harm by way of supporting legislation that marginalizes them and removes their access to uh, gender affirming and critical healthcare. So I, I think she's no longer entitled to even the label of feminism. J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, same views. I think uh, feminism needs, like, has evolved and it's, it should, the idea of it is to be inclusive. So you can't exclude people and um, be a bigot, like Rohita said. There shouldn't be a place for hate. This also raises the question of what we mean when we talk about bad feminism. Is it is it also like uh, feminists who call themselves feminists, but they say and do things that uh, are explicitly harmful? Or is it a, a much, much milder version of it? Is, is it? is it about personal guilt? Because I think that's also what I struggle with because there are a lot of feminists who as a lot of self-proclaimed feminists who I don't think are feminists at all, let alone bad feminists. So I'm wondering over here who a bad feminist is. So, I mean, I agree with the two of you um, only based on, you know, what I know with headlines and stuff about what J.K. Rowling has said, because I have to be honest, I've not read into the details too much. I want to talk about a more complex example of that, which is Chimamanda Adichie. And, um, you know, the criticism about like her comments on trans women and like whether trans women are women or not and then you know her talking about how her work has been taken out of context and then coming out with an 
open letter which sort of talks about the problems with the way in which culture is evolving right now and like cancel culture and all of the various issues with it you know and given that chimamanda adichie's contribution to the feminist movement has been much bigger than someone like uh, jk rowling with all the work and even all the ad- activism that she's done with helping other writers come up um do you think it becomes more complicated in a case like that or is it a similar like hey if you've said this then you're not a feminist how do we look at that instance so i think you're right i mean this is a little slightly more complicated I, i'm not like 100% clear on the details but there was an open letter that she had published about cancel culture and it was in response to another author a non-binary author uh they had accused chimamanda adichie of uh transphobia so i don't know if she's made like if she's made comments in the public domain about trans people or trans women yeah yeah she has she has in a channel for she has that's one of the conversations that was picked up where she was asked i think whether trans women are women and she had responded saying that trans women are trans women No then I think she falls very squarely into the JK Rowling camp right like if she actually said that especially this dispiriting considering that she has engaged so much with feminism she has contributed to the space so much and then she does this it's even more damaging than if someone else completely outside of it does it so yeah I think that makes it easier I do sometimes wonder though you know about like each of us was a public figure and there were diff- and we had to make public statements or our personal lives would be interrogated would you find similar instances of hypocrisy which would where you know other people would sit and say hey this person is a bad feminist because they did this right i suppose what makes these cases more jarring is that there are instances where people are like not maybe necessarily willing to learn or engage but being like this is my stance the power that you have as a public figure can be really say your words can be really hurtful and can you know deny people's existence and the truth of how they live in the world and so they can be really powerful but i do wonder if each of us was put in the scanner for our like thoughts or words in similar ways how many of us would actually be able to continue to call ourselves feminists that's true i think none of us can really but i think where i draw the line is when um there's a difference between debating on how to do feminism per se versus whom you consider worthy of their dignity and civil and political liberties as people um and and with a lot of or uh, public figures who are outing themselves as transphobic this is this is at the heart of the debate right like they don't consider trans women as women and i think that's what um, a lot of conversations mainstream conversations about feminism when we focus too much on individuals and individual conduct and behavior and opinions we lose sight of the bigger picture which is um what is what is feminism as a politics and then in that context how are you like where are you placed as a feminist are you focusing only on yourself and your conduct and your opinions or are you looking at other people also and trying to see how you can build solidarities i don't know it sounds very pedantic i'm not saying that from a 
place of considering myself a good feminist or anything. Obviously, I'm not. But yeah. I'll pick like points from both of you. I agree with uh, Rohita there that if someone's transphobic, so there's no debate there. <laughs> But uh, because they're writers or they're creators or they're making shows and films, for example, taking Lena Dunham, for example, I love the show that she created and it had certain ideas again. So for me that worked when I'd watched and it's one of the shows I keep going back to but she's outed herself as a problematic woman uh, she was supporting someone who was a, one of the writers on the show who was accused of sexual assault so then uh, then again it's not the Leonard Dunham for me it's like but then I would still allow myself uh, this liberty of like okay still engaging with something that she created so same with Uh, the writers, I feel like, you know, Harry Potter or whether it's Shimabara Dichi's, like her works. So I can allow myself to engage with their work, but acknowledging the fact that they're problematic and they have not caught up with where, say, the rest of the conversation has moved. Yeah, actually, I think that makes a lot of sense. And okay, in the spirit of talking a little bit about what if all of us were under the scanner for our feminisms and how do we, you know, kind of grapple with being bad feminists. Let's talk about different examples of being bad feminists and then maybe uh, Vatsala or Rohita can bring in some like research points or arguments related to that which could help us reflect, right? So, first of all, listening to and loving songs like Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines, which also has a feminist version called Defined Lines, by the way, uh, which promotes rape culture. Uh, does that make you a bad feminist and how do you sort of grapple with that? Like full disclosure, I still do enjoy the song. It's it's a very catchy song. It sucks that I enjoy it so much, but it's it's a great song. But does that make me a bad feminist for enjoying it? I I don't know. Maybe it does. But again, I don't like to individualize it so much. Like, what is feminism going to gain or lose from me listening to this one song? Right? Like, I'm just one person. That's the issue I have with. Um, even when Roxanne Gay posed this question and said that she, in her book, she had said, um, I openly embrace the label of bad feminist. I do so because I am flawed and human. I'm not terribly well-versed in feminist history. I'm not as well-read in key feminist texts as I would like to be, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I am still a feminist. I cannot tell you how freeing it has been to accept this about myself. And I agree with this to a point. Um, but I also feel like it, it kind of is a way for all of us to evade accountability in a way, like not put in the hard work. It's it's one thing to say that I do these things and whatever I do is not going to make a difference or whatever. But it's another thing to disavow the work and the hard work that you need to do and sacrificing some comfort because feminism should not be comfortable, should not be so comfortable that For everything you can say that oh what I do is not going to make a difference so what's the point anyway I will go ahead and listen to the song I I think the song itself is not the point is the point is how much are you willing to actually do how much work are you willing to put in and how much comfort are you willing to sacrifice so I think if we zoom out from the context of this one song also it's like I don't think it's it's entirely okay to be openly To, to proudly say that I haven't engaged with feminist work that much and leave it at that. It's like, you should try if you want to be a feminist, right? So 
okay, full <laughs> disclosure, I don't know about this song. Um, but like, this is basically, if I take any other work created by, an, like, or a problematic piece of work, then there are things that we, songs especially, because a lot of people who got called out during the Me Too movement, but we continue to listen to their songs, engage with their art, feeling very guilty while we do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> that's something I'm going to allow myself. I agree with Rohita though. I mean, I get your point also, Vatsala, but I also agree with Rohita and I feel like somewhere it pushes the needle, like the discomfort that we have or, you know, you saying that, okay, I'm not okay with these lyrics. It does matter to like question and to ask and to, and the fact that there was a version of the song called Defined Lines where then, you know, like people were like, it's not as black and white. I mean, it, it is actually black and white and the lines are not blurred. Here's what it is sort of a thing. This is what is sexual assault. So, and I think there is a lot of post Me Too fatigue in discourse now where people are like, well, everybody's a harasser. Well, every, you know, so what do we do? Should we stop listening to things or whatever? I mean, I found myself engaging in it at one point in time, you know, where I was just like when somebody was like, this show I really like, the writer's been accused of something. And I was like, you know what? I can't <laughs> stop watching everything now. So I don't know <laughs> what yeah. to do. But I, I guess that's where the point of like discomfort comes in I guess there will be those moments of hair tearing frustration it reminds me of uh, something that Sarah Ahmed had written about uh, the idea of the feminist killjoy and how a lot of like when collectively as a group you are put down as the feminist killjoy and when you have a problem with these pieces of beloved pop culture that have some kind of problematic roots and then everyone's like oh but everything is like this oh you have a problem with everything that kind of is a very systematic way of keeping the status quo intact and is designed to kind of exhaust people into exhaust even feminists into into just being like yeah you know what you're right um everything does suck so what is the point and it kind of wears you down um, but not being a bad feminist would be to embrace the discomfort of being a feminist killjoy, maybe. Because if you let that go, then maybe you kind of slip into this territory of being a bad feminist. You, you need to actively push against it. It's not easy. And obviously, I've been there many times and more so lately than before, where I've just given up. But it makes me feel sad actually and want to go back to trying to be a better feminist and it also felt like Ruita, like when I was younger I think in college especially you know you'd remember label of a feminist killjoy I wonder if I've lost more and more of that sense of like just being the person who's like okay this is wrong or this is this or this is that you know what I mean I don't know so I feel like a part of it is also maybe retaining that I feel is like it's okay to be a bad feminist but it's not okay to be okay with being a bad feminist. Like we all might be bad feminists in different ways, but we should always try to be better, perhaps. Um, on that note, let's like introduce a personal complexity, right? What if you hate another woman? That could be your woman co-worker, it could be a friend, or it could be family. That happens a lot, right? Does that automatically make you a bad feminist? I don't think so because I mean 
interpersonal relationships are things that human beings have and we are human beings at the end of the day and this in fact what i find suffocating is this idea of uh like solidarity like unquestioning solidarity with other women and sisterhood and that that feels a bit suffocating because it completely uh closes off any space for discomfort any space for de- developing and enriching and complex relationship with somebody it's it's almost like you have to perform the solidarity if you if you're not leaving space for dislike or discomfort or competition or any of these like unpleasant feelings that inevitably arise by virtue of being a human being yeah i think in that sense again like this mainstream pop feminism is really responsible for <laughs> like like not ruining relationships between women but just stifling them and and making them hollow and dishonest in a way because where is room for honesty and that and and depth there is no depth left anymore if if you don't allow room for any of these things i remember reading elena ferrante's books one of the things that uh, resonated with me was the fact that it was about a complex female friendship they didn't like each other uh during different phases while growing up there was resentment uh there was envy so there were very real emotions and like i'm wondering if i was going through something similar uh you know in my personal relationships because it sort of normalized those that the fact that you're friends and you're closer to them or your best friends but they can be brilliant and then you feel uh um short you know in comparison and whether it's that or the fact that someone has a partner or is in a live in and while you are you know dealing with the pressures of being single and you know and you can't be happy for your friends all the time but you try to so these are i think very human feelings and emotions having those does not negate the fact like it wouldn't write off your feminism i feel yeah and i think that's so beautifully put because it feels like what we're losing a lot is like honesty with like pop feminism you know like you're always yas queen but sometimes you don't want to stand a queen you know what i mean and you can be like honest about that and and i think that's refreshing and like yeah. you said finding comfort with discomfort is what's actually much more rewarding okay what about wanting to lose weight to look more conventionally attractive does that does that make you a bad feminist hmm so <laughs> yeah i think so because i mean i this is something that i struggle with personally uh because there are some things in your life where you're pulled in one direction and then your feminism pulls you in the opposite direction and this is one of those things one of many things but i think yeah i there's no shame in admitting that it does make me a bad feminist adding to what you're saying i think for me what, the last podcast so the podcast that we did before that which was on uh, body positivity like it helped me understand that you know the fact that we make so much about our appearance you know the big deal that we make out of our appearance you know for me it checked something in me and i was like okay this doesn't deserve the kind of priority i end up giving um so yeah i would like to say that wanting um to look a certain way definitely would go against the feminist ideals and 
but i do do i'm guilty of feeling that <laughs> way so uh yeah i but yeah it's a constant um, self reflection that one indulges in one has to do yeah I, i think i totally agree with both of you it's something that i guess we're all guilty of doing but which makes it more important to like you know i look at and actually i feel like there's a difference between the older generation and the younger generation of let's see even feminist academics right like just in our interviews who we speak to and you just see like a lot of the older feminists like clearly not caring about the way that they look and i think there's something so revolutionary about that which we've just lost you know like the ability to like grow out your body hair and not give a fuck and like have really thick eyebrows and like hair everywhere and like you know ha- like dress in a way that whatever isn't good for your body but you i mean there's something so cool and liberating about that and yeah i feel like sometimes the one on one things which we forgive ourselves for become the most harmful you know and i'm 100% guilty of like um you know consciously choosing when i won't care and then when i care i'll be like yeah i'll i'll just like it's okay i'm going out or i'm like this is for some i mean it's fine it's okay you know like a switch that you turn on and off but <laughs> it can't yeah. be like that <laughs> yeah like a feminism a la carte <laughs> yeah totally totally all right on that note let's talk about our last example which is what about employing a service worker let's say a cook or a domestic worker to take care of household tasks or care work for you while you engage in higher paid work um and over here i think it's important to note that you pay them the wage which you know is the standard wage for a domestic worker which is like highly underpaid but you go with that wage so is that being a bad feminist yes it is especially when you're paying the quote unquote standard rate which is abysmally low it, and it's not a living wage for any any human being and when you know that you're doing that and you're contributing to a culture of keeping um some kind of work severely underpaid while ourselves railing against uh you know unpaid or undervalued work or care work in the home and things like that it's it is very hypocritical and it does make you a bad feminist and in a way that isn't excusable i think yeah absolutely i think it this one this points out to the systemic problem and what feminism is meant to fight against and adding to what you said you know that we sometimes are ourselves guilty of you know while we expect a certain raise or crib about um being underpaid etc uh, there's this bit about you know how like the little things we do for example haggle with auto wala bhaiya right in the morning you know so that's something that i actively had to like work on and be like you know this this is stupid this isn't right or oh, um, that or the fact that how little we pay our um domestic workers very criminal how underpaid they are and how little we have been able to do for them um the little advocacy advocacy that we have been able to do for them it's it's sad honestly this is what um titi bhattacharya and others called nancy fraser and other scholars have uh called feminism for the 99% if your feminism is not for the 99% then it is not feminism because otherwise it's just a brand and it's a way of re- of holding on to institutional and systemic power that you inherited unfairly from birth um if you are born into a certain set of privileges then underpaying and undervaluing other people's labor 
is a way of keeping that privilege in- intact at someone else's expense. So then I don't think anyone can call themselves a feminist if if they're actively invested in on a daily basis retaining their power at somebody else's expense. Yeah, 100%. And I think this is one of those spaces where, you know, people use like love or emotions or like, oh, I have a sweet relationship with the person who works in my house. And so look at how feminist I am, you know, and I wonder if like voluntarily, say all the women who identify as feminists start paying domestic workers, let's say double or triple of what they make at the moment or like pay them as much as car drivers, for instance, right? The disparity is there when you look at similar roles itself. I wonder like how much that would change and like, you know, give just bargaining power. I think these are the conversations we need to have to hold ourselves accountable for being bad feminists in the way that we are. (laughs) Yeah, this example in particular got me like really sad. I was like, okay, this is the root of, you know, (laughs) this, this should be the fight which has been camouflaged or overtaken by everything else, you know. Yeah, totally agree with that. And on that note, would you say that this guilt or self reflection is an inherent part of being feminist? And to go back to the initial question, is it okay to be a bad feminist? Reflecting on it now. Absolutely. I think self-reflection is an important, it's, a, it's very important. And I think something that this other author I read who said that, you know, it's very important to read about other feminist scholars, which honestly I haven't also read. So I think as a feminist or self-proclaimed feminist, it becomes important to also engage with the literature that already exists. Like what you said earlier, Shishti, about how there's a lot of discourse about how it's okay to be a bad feminist. And there's like this almost reclamation of being a bad feminist, but then it stops there. It's almost like a get out of jail free card where you just are able to call yourself a bad feminist and not do anything about it. And the self-awareness is enough to make yourself like a self-aware bad feminist. So then that makes you good. Like it's, it's just this very weird Uh, circular logic that doesn't make any sense I think it goes back to what we've been reiterating throughout is that there may not be any such thing as a good feminist but there is such a thing as being a bad feminist and what makes you not a bad feminist is if you keep pushing to run in the opposite direction of that and that means um, taking stock and of other people besides yourself, like stepping out of your own self for a moment and looking at the bigger picture and looking at your relationship with others. And I don't know, just feminism as a politics uh, is undermined the moment we just make it about ourselves. Yep, I think I totally agree with the two of you. And that makes a lot of sense. That's a great note to end our podcast on. So here's to finding the joy in being feminist killjoys. (laughs) And on that note, with a bad joke um, and a lot of thoughts on bad feminism, see you again next time. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by TS Studios, the production company that brings the Swaddle's creative point of view to original podcasts and films. 